Welcome to Page It to the Limit, a podcast where we explore what it takes to run software in production successfully. We cover leading practices used in the software industry to improve both system reliability and the lives of the people supporting those systems. I'm your host, Mandy Walls. Find me at LNXCHK on Twitter. All right, welcome back. This week I have with me Jason Morgan. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Tell us about yourself. What do you do? Where do you work? What are you interested in? Yeah, well, I am a technical evangelist, which is a title that I thought I made up, but now I see it all over the place, so <laughs> not sure I made it up. But I'm a technical <laughs> evangelist for a company called Buoyant, and it's my job to talk to <clears throat> talk to folks about the Linkerd open source project, which is a service mesh built for Kubernetes, and try and convince them to use it. Awesome. So let's start out with just the basics. Like, what's a service mesh? Yeah, great, great question. So like a service mesh is a construct that came about, I'm not sure exactly when, but somewhere somewhere in the 2013, 2015 time range, right? And effectively what happened is as folks started building, whether you want to call them microservices or not, like distributed applications, right? Like the initial approach was to take tooling for service discovery, take tooling for setting up HTTPS or encryption between your connections, take load balancing, take gathering metrics, uh, and shove them into a library that developers would import into their applications that would do kind of like the how to be a good citizen on the network stuff. And that first pattern was okay until the libraries had to change, right? And like, as you get 10, 20, 30 teams using the shared library, right? Especially if you have multiple languages, like you get more complex, but as you get a bunch of teams using the shared library, it was really hard to change this, what is at its core infrastructure code inside all these different apps at the same time. So basically this became a problem as people started to do microservices at scale, right? And folks came up with some different ways to solve it. You know, the one that our company came up with was this idea of, hey, what if I took that library that has these kind of network functions and stripped it from the application and instead ran it in its own separate process and then routed everybody's communication, this app's communication through this second process. And if you do that, suddenly you take that, you know, how to be a good citizen on the network functionality out of your app. You still get the benefit of it in your app, but you don't get the the drag on development or developer velocity that you see when it's inside your application. Does that make sense? Sort of. So is it acting sort of like a, a proxy for all of its other requests so that you know, I don't have to keep updating like when microservices move around as well as everything else that's going on? Yeah, in fact, that's a way easier way to describe it. So really what it is, it's taking all the network logic and shoving it into a proxy. And you run the okay. proxy your application, you force all your traffic to go through the proxy, and now suddenly your app can just do looking up users or checking the database for whatever, or whatever it's trying to do. And then it can just assume that it's going to get encryption. It can assume that it's going to get standard metrics surfaced. It's going to assume that it's going to make good load balancing choices. And then the proxy will just do that for it. Oh, okay. So then when I have like changes to update in the network, it just goes out to those little proxies and it, that takes care of letting everybody else know what's going on. Yeah, exactly. So yes, and even better, it shifts a infrastructure concern 
to your platform team and away from your app developers. Okay. Which is the real innovation. If you can just have developers not do it, then they can focus on business logic and the platform team that really cares about, you know, the TLS, the the observability and metrics, the load balancing, all that stuff. They can handle configuring that side. Oh, okay. So as a recovering system, I have definitely been in a place where I have received code to be installed in production that has non-production resources hard-coded into its configuration and had to like unwind things, change the configs for prod, wind them back up, and then deploy them. So this sounds much better. (laughs) Yeah, the idea is just let app devs focus on the app, let the platform team focus on the platform. And the service mesh was has been a great tool for it. In general, we see as folks are maturing in their Kubernetes journey, like more and more people are running into the holy cow, I need a service mesh situation. Is it useful outside of Kubernetes for folks who are maybe using something else? So service mesh, some service mesh offerings absolutely work beyond Kubernetes. Okay. A Linkerd service mesh, the one that I promote and work for, it does not. It is solely focused on the Kubernetes environment. Okay, so tell us a bit about that one. Like, is it an open source project? How did you guys get involved with it? What's its life like? Yeah, so it came out. So the original founders of Buoyant are some folks that were working at Twitter and were using something, either it was Finagle or it was some earlier distribution that was very similar to the, the Finagle tool. They built the service mesh being like, hey, we could take something like Finagle, put it into a little proxy and ride with it. Right. And so there was an initial iteration called Linkerd one, which was basically this library packed into a proxy. And it was nice, but it was built on Java. And so it wasn't that performant. And it also was targeted originally at, and I forget even the name of the orchestrator, Mesosphere. So it was originally targeted at that. And then Linkerd two, the version they rewrote is entirely Kubernetes focused. It doesn't have any Java. It's all Go and Rust. Uh, and it's it's made to be really easy to use in Kubernetes. So like our philosophy for our service mesh is, you know, if you're running an app in Kubernetes, you should be able to install Linkerd, add your app to the mesh, and it still works. In fact, it just works better, right? Because now you have mutual TLS, now you have standard metrics, now you have request level load balancing and some things you didn't you didn't have before, but without any any change to your app. So by writing Linkerd entirely for Kubernetes, we're able to keep it really simple. Interesting. Okay. So, and then it doesn't matter what language your actual application is written in because it's all making requests over the network anyway. It doesn't have to care. Yeah, exactly. So the way the way the proxy really works, right? So Kubernetes, Kubernetes is a big like container orchestrator tool, right? So you give it you give it app definitions and it goes and schedules them across however many nodes you have in your cluster, right? And it has this construct called the sidecar, right? Which is literally, you can take your, your application container and you can put like a motorcycle sidecar right beside every instance of your app. And all the traffic just gets routed through the sidecar. So if you want to leave the application or enter the application over the network, you have to go through the sidecar. And so that allows us to take over all your network traffic in an entirely language agnostic way. Interesting. So does that then also help folks who are like moving into Kubernetes? Like, does it reduce their sort of lift and shift? Because they don't have to actually, do you actually have to know that you're in Kubernetes at that point? Like if you're just going to hook up a little sidecar and that everything's coming through, does it actually look significantly different from when you had it on 
another container somewhere or a VM or whatever? Yeah. So moving to the the hard thing about moving to Kubernetes, I guess there's a couple things that could be hard about moving to Kubernetes. Is one, is your app comfortable being started and stopped by the orchestrator in an entirely arbitrary fashion? Right. And you have to answer that. And then, do you have the Kubernetes constructs you require? Right. So Kubernetes it simplifies things like service discovery, but it does it by saying, hey, you have to make you have to make a little object that represents your service. And we'll go collect up all your all your containers that are part of that service and we'll we'll attach them to it so that it's it's easily found. But you're still gonna need to make you know the underlying Kubernetes constructs to to get going. What it does do for Kubernetes adopters is it lets them, as they move their apps to Kubernetes, it gives them a level of visibility that isn't there in native Kubernetes. Okay. As you move your app in, you'll be able to see, hey, for every transaction, like what's the success rate for a given application or a namespace or you know an individual instance of my application? What's the success rate? What's the latency? What's the request volume that it's seeing? Things like that. So then are you hooking up, say, your metrics and monitoring collection directly into that component instead of the native application? Yeah, absolutely. I remember I used to work at a, a satellite imagery company, and I had to beg 30 different app development teams to build a slash metrics endpoint. Yes. Right? I'm like, please, everybody build an endpoint. I know you all have metrics endpoints, and you're putting just everybody do it at slash metrics. And try and get some similar info. This is what we're looking for, vaguely. And you know, the process was ultimately like totally futile. I think what is that guy, that Sisyphus guy pushing the rock up the hill? I felt a lot like that. And now with a service mesh, you just don't do it. Like, don't tell them to implement anything. Because they don't care. Like they don't care if you have the metrics that you want, right? Like they care, can they figure out? I mean, they being the app team, right? Like they're focused on hitting their numbers, getting their function out or their feature out, whatever it is. And you can shift the infrastructure concern of, hey, I really care that we all have similar metrics. You can shift that back to the platform team because I'll just put, I'll put a proxy beside your app and I'll get the metrics from the proxy because that's already configured to surface them for me, mm. right? which is really nice. Same thing, like when you got like 30 or 100, you know, services in your microservice application, seeing how they talk to each other, like I've had three customers in the last two weeks that have been like, they've used our tool and they've been like, wow, I can see what's talking to what in the environment. Like, is there any good way to export this? I'm like, well, you, you don't have to, you can just look at the site or take like a screenshot or something, but like just showing what's talking to what in this sort of environment can be really powerful, right? And so sort of is just surfaced by a service mesh. Awesome, yeah. So for folks who are sort of considering this as part of their solution, like how do they get started with this? Yeah, if you go to linkerd.io, L-I-N-K-E-R-D.io. We'll put it in the show notes for folks, yep. We have a getting started guide that's really handy. I tell people at conferences, if you can't get through it in 30 minutes, come up to me, I'll say sorry, I'll buy you a drink. <laughs> Even on conference Wi-Fi, it's a very straightforward process. Just try it. Like if you're going to do something Kubernetes, if you have an app running Kubernetes, try Linkerd in your staging environment, your dev environment, wherever safe, and add an application to it. See what results you get, right? Like a lot of folks and, and myself included, right? Like I used to be really worried that adding a service mesh to Kubernetes would require a lot of work. We used to recommend when I was at VMware, we used to recommend to folks like, hey, let's get you going with Kubernetes. Then we'll talk about service mesh once you're really comfortable in that space. 
Well, that's because our thinking was around, you know, the Istio service mesh, which is very powerful and a great tool, but is also really complicated mm -hmm. right? and has a huge management burden. With Linkerd, like it's easier to run your app in Kubernetes with Linkerd than it was before, which is really the big selling point in my view. So try our Getting Star Guide. See if you can get your app working. Uh, we also have a Slack. It's really helpful. Come hit us up. And then there's a ton of videos that we have that just kind of go into what is Linkerd? How does it work? How do you do some things? The big design choice we made was any complexity in Linkerd, you have to like opt into. Oh, okay. So when you start, you can use Linkerd without changing anything about your Kubernetes environment beyond adding like a one-line annotation to your deployment saying, add the Linkerd proxy. That's all you have to do. When you want more features or functionality from the mesh, you can get them. You then have to opt into new, new bits of complexity, right? We just did a, a talk on how to use policy, mm -hmm. how to restrict who can talk to what on the basis of identity, right? Your Kubernetes identity. And like, that's something where you're going to have to use custom resource definitions and things will get more complicated. It's not brutal, but it's more than the basics. Yeah. Mutual TLS, okay. your metrics, and your better load balancing just by installing it and trying it out. Do you recommend now that instead of starting with sort of plain vanilla Kubernetes and then adding the service mesh on, that you just start with the service mesh as part of your initial Kubernetes rollout? Uh, I think it depends on what you're doing. If you're doing your own custom applications, yes. If I'm hosting an infrastructure cluster, when I build a cluster to host a registry mm -hmm. and a CI tool, some things like that, no, I won't put on a service mesh because I don't care, right? Like if I'm going to start my app with a Helm chart and it'll either work or it won't work and I'm, I'm not going to troubleshoot it, right? If there's a problem, I'm going to turn it off and turn it back on. Kind of thing. Well, delete it and recreate it, mm -hmm. right? If I'm doing a custom web app, yeah, absolutely. You will just get a tremendous amount of value for very little cost. Are there security concerns or things that folks should be aware of? Yeah, well, like that's kind of the thing. There are security concerns in running in Kubernetes. Like mm -hmm. by default, you're going to send stuff plain text around your cluster, right? Which I get it, right? Like I get it. It's, yeah. it's you just want it to work, right? But like that's the default state. The default state is that everything trusts everything inside a Kubernetes cluster. And let, let's just go send packets around. When you add a service mesh, you get, so mutual TLS, you know, TLS is, I'm a client, I go find a server, I know that server is who it says it is because of mm -hmm. its certificate, and I can encrypt my, my session between it. Mutual TLS is that, except for the server now also checks the client. So now both sides know who they're talking to, right? So when you install Linkerd and you add your app to it, every communication runs over a mutual TLS connection. I'd say, because I don't want to pretend that everything's great about Linkerd, like it's pretty great, although, and I'm paid to say it's pretty great. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's pretty great, but there are, there are costs to running any service mesh, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about this a lot. For every mesh, and you, you should evaluate this for yourself as, as you get going, there are, I call them like the three taxes of a service mesh, right? There is the CPU and memory tax. The way a service mesh works is you put a proxy beside your application instance, your individual container. So that proxy is gonna cost you CPU and memory. Yeah. There is a latency tax. The traffic, instead of going from app A to app B, is now gonna go app A, proxy A, proxy B, app B. So I get two additional network hops, mm -hmm. and that is gonna cost me latency. And then the last but not least, operating a service mesh is going to involve some sort of operational overhead 
for you as a, a platform team. I generally address platform teams. Sorry, devs out there. I think you're great. Work on great apps and all that stuff. But my, you know, the main folks that are using Linkerd are our platform teams. Okay. And if you're a platform team, you need to understand what is the cost to you of running this thing. Linkerd tries to be the lowest cost service mesh. That's our our basic goal. You know, we we wrote our proxy in Rust. Mm-hmm. We didn't use the envoy the envoy proxy, which is what a lot of folks do, which is this really big, powerful load balancer that you can do like tons of great stuff with and is great. But it's heavy. We wrote ours in Rust and it's really lightweight and it's purpose-built for being in Linkerd. It seems to be the most performance. So when we test it, right, we're using a, an open benchmarking suite, but when we test it, we always see Linkerd being the lowest latency proxy. Operationally, like you can't beat us in terms of operational simplicity. I'm dealing with a bank. Later today, I'm going to finish, I'm going to help them finish installing Linkerd all the way through to production, right? Like we started 11 days ago. They had an app in four environments and they're going to have done all four environments in 11 days through to production. This isn't like book or some like super tech company, right? Like these are folks that paid another company to develop their app, you know, that are new to Kubernetes and they're just, it's just working and it's just straightforward. Like people measure Linkerd adoption in days and weeks, not months. That sounds amazing. Yeah. For, for everybody out there who's running or looking at running Kubernetes. One of the recurring questions we have on the show is if you want to debunk a myth, do you have any favorite or recurring myths that pop up about service mesh or Kubernetes in general that you want to debunk for folks? I don't know about a myth, right? But I certainly believed before I, I started working at Buoyant, right? And again, paid to say it, right? But before I started working here, I believed that you needed a team to run your service mesh. Oh, you okay. One to three folks to run it. Uh, and you needed to heavily integrate your service mesh with your pipeline and involve some amount of awareness from the developer side. Like, I don't see that being true. And I haven't seen that being true for the last year and a half that I've been here. It's not a requirement to get going. And that's really the big one. Like, I don't know, I don't know about myths in the service mesh space. You know, you see, you see lots of, lots of marketing stuff, right? And like service mesh itself is a term, like I thought was kind of like, a weird one, although I now kind of get it, right? It's a big web of services talking to each other. That's my initial impression was with it too, because like coming off of some of the enterprise customers I used to work with at a prior job ran stuff explicitly on a service bus. So like, okay, I understand the bus is kind of more of a straight line thing. Okay, the next evolution of that, sure, looks like a mesh. So in my mind, it kind of fit that way as like, it was the evolution of these like cranky old service bus architectures that people had put together 10 years ago or so. But that was just my impression of it. Yeah. I had so many like poor stories from working with enterprise service buses. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's a whole other show. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of, lots of crazy business happening in enterprise architectures. Yeah. No, I'd say, I'd say my big one is it's not as high cost to try out as you think. Okay. And like your evaluation time, I see folks who are doing service mesh evaluations that last longer than the time to adopt something, right? Like the time to adopt Linkerd, right? Because, you know, really, no matter no matter who you are, right? Like even if your processes, even if your internal change processes are really slow, you don't need to change your app. You don't need to change your environment in a significant way to use Linkerd. So you can kind of get going without locking yourself into our service mesh, right? Because 
you're not going to be writing custom resource definitions to make it work. Like it's just going to work. For those that don't know, Kubernetes is cool in a couple of ways. Like one of them is it's really good at doing declarative configuration management. Like you describe what you want in YAML and it makes it happen. Right. And then the other thing it's really good at is the Kubernetes API is just this big, dumb REST API and you can extend it to manage whatever objects you want. Right. And so software vendors now put like their own command and control stuff into Kubernetes through what's called a custom resource definition, right? So custom resources are, are extensions to the Kubernetes API that let you control other software. For me, the way I do this, and y'all feel free to do it your own way, but the way I look at how complex something is, is I think how many custom resources do I have to use to make this thing work, right? And the thing I'm proud of with Linkerd is that to make it work, you need zero custom resources, not one, to get the core functionality of it. And I think that's I think that's really neat, which is why you can adopt it fast. Awesome. So tell us a little bit then about, uh, we'll close up with a little bit about Buoyant. So Linkerd is an open source of CNCF project. And then what kind of things does Buoyant add to that? To be clear, we are a CNCF project. We are the only service mesh to hit graduated status. With okay. So that means we've hit the top tier of maturity, according to the CNCF. And, you know, alongside projects like Istio or Open Service Mesh, you know, we're the only one that graduates us. Now, caveat here, like I'm, I'm doing a little bit of marketing stuff because Istio only joined like earlier this year. They haven't had time to hit graduate status, but it, for us, it was a big deal. And we were, we had graduate status la- around this time last year. Buoyant, the company, we make a tool called Buoyant Cloud, which basically allows you, imagine you did want to do Linkerd, right? And you want to go fast and you're like, all right, this is great. But like, I really don't want to, I don't want to figure out how to monitor it, how to maintain it, how to do any of the core operational functionality in it. You can install our agent from Boyant Cloud into your cluster. And then we will handle things like installing and upgrading Linkerd. We'll handle rotating your certificates. We'll collect all your metrics for you. So you don't need to worry about a metric store. We do other things. We'll, we'll alert on it, right? Like you don't have to learn, hey, what are the failure conditions on this project? on this tool because we know all the failure conditions and they're actually written as rules in our tool that will alert you if something goes wrong. We'll do some, uh, I'd say that 80% to 90% of the operations and maintenance of Linkerd for you. Cool. That's our big value add there. Plus we make Linkerd. Awesome. All right. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with folks today? We've covered a lot from the basics of service mesh up through everything. Is there anything else you'd like to add or share? No, I guess I'd, I'd just ask if this was interesting, if you liked it, if you have any thoughts or, or anything you want to say, come join us on Slack, slack.linkerd.io. I'd love to hear from you and just see where we can fit into what you're doing. Yeah, sounds like an, an awesome tool for folks out there who are looking at Kubernetes. And we'll add all the links that we talked about into the show notes for folks. So if you are uh, listening in your favorite pod catcher, they'll be in the about page and they'll be on the website for folks listening online. Well, this has been great, Jason. Thank you so much for all the info. Uh, I hope this helps folks out there who are considering uh, Kubernetes and service mesh for their projects. And it's been great for mine. It's just totally delightful talking to you, and I appreciate you, you having me on. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, so we'll wrap up there for folks, and uh, we'll wish everyone an uneventful day. That does it for another installment of Page to the Limit. We'd like to thank our sponsor, PagerDuty, for making this podcast possible. Remember to subscribe to this podcast if you like what you've heard. You can find our show notes at pagertothelimit.com and you can reach us on Twitter 
at Page It to the Limit using the number two. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, uneventful days are beautiful days.